Brought to you by First Class Reels. I came to First Class Reels. I was trying to find someone to do my reel for me. The reason I wanted to get my reel done was because every like, agent I'd run into or manager would be like, so can I see some of your work? And I'd be like, I don't have a reel. When we were done and I sent it out to people I've been networking with and I got an agent out of it. And right now I'm talking to a manager after they've seen my reel. So it really was bang for my buck. Like. I got exactly what I wanted. So first class reels, do it. You will not regret it. Trust me. You know objective truth, Darwin? Math. That's not objective truth. Math is objective. No, it's not. Yes, it, it doesn't it fully describe reality. There's no chance you've objectively described reality. You haven't. Let the record show that Lauren is bored. Welcome to Darwinism. I'm Matt Lofton. I'm Darwin. Here's where we talk about politics. Trying to evolve the conversation. Ah, ah, that's so horrible, horrible. Hey, welcome to Lofty Darwinism, everybody. Uh, we have Joe Polank back, and Darwin is always here, and we were discussing what to talk about today, or the myriad topics, and we realized that we're going to let Joe do a quick rundown of our possible topics, uh, and how just, and this is just four of the of the many we could talk about today All right. that he's burning on. Hey, uh, glad to be on yet again, um, hopping off the Twitters so that you know I have the most up-to-date information. Uh, I see four big issues today. It has been a hell of a day. I heard somebody call it the worst day yet for the Trump administration. Uh, those top four, and I, you know we can approach them in any, any order, uh, travel ban 2.0 gets shot down by judges both in Hawaii and Maryland. The White House release, releases a incredibly... Uh, Machiavelli? I don't even know what, what adjective to the describe budget, it. budget, yeah. A, a budget that, as the, as the Huffington Post... It's all guns, no butter. That's ex that's all, yeah. That is all guns and no as butter. As the Huffington Post described it, let them eat fighter jets. Um, <laughs> there is... Uh, oh, uh, Trump's wiretapping claims have been, if not proven false, at least no one has, including Republicans now, on the appropriate committees have found any... Uh, evidence to support his claims and crap. healthcare yeah. is going down in flames uh, for Paul Ryan's even admitted They're that not, so I mean, yes. yeah, and Paul Ryan's even admitted that healthcare as it stands won't pass uh, the budget so Darwin how do we process a day so this is why things going, yeah, how, how do we how do we process something this big like even if we wrote it all down we'd have trouble <laughs> Well, first, I want to invite the viewers to tell us what you thought of the intro music, which uh, I'm going to slip in after this. And Matt and Joe have actually not heard this, so I'm the only one in this moment that knows what it sounds like. I'm glad so you're well, focused on the important it. stuff. Yes, yeah, we are good. So whatever the Republic you just is falling apart, but let's hear the intro them. music, Darwin. If, is, it so, is it fiddling <laughs> as, 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 as Rome is burning? Is it fiddle music, Darwin? I fucking hope it's fiddle oh, music. That's what you did there. It's got it's got a little fiddle music okay. going going on, Good. you know, inside of it. Who knows? Like, <laughs> there's I don't even know what I do anymore, much yeah. less the intros of the world. You know, it's I what I started off whenever we were talking about what to talk about. I've I've definitely been experienced Trump fatigue. Yeah. You know, like I I feel like he is a, a child and he's making a lot of dumb mistakes, but some of them are less dumb than others. We're getting distracted equally by all of them, and everything's mm -hmm. getting lost in the noise. Yep. You know, the the, the 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 man with his um, with his wiretapping claims legitimately yeah. is giving me cause to wonder if he is actually <clears throat> mentally ill. 
in the in in the form of this man watching Breitbart potentially and just tweeting out what he saw on it. Well, and, like, and extrapolating it. Even Breitbart never said that Obama ordered it. They just said yeah. that he was... Ta- sorry, just had to insert a little detail. He's taking the furthest right-wing media and then going beyond even it. And then he's using what he calls fake media as other confirmation bias of things that he would have to be an insider information on, right? So only things he would know as an insider in the government he's looking to outside confirmation on. Which also means that he's necessarily releasing confidential information then but as well, I, classified information. I don't know how it's happening. We really, need to, we really need to police ourselves for making sure that we're actually getting the correct information yeah. about the world. Because, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that Trump is using to his advantage now. He's, he's, he's basically take, letting Breitbart lead him down this inflammatory rabbit hole that allows him to captivate our minds while he does other things that we're not talking about. You know, we're not talking about anything well, other than and because, craziness. And because some 40% of the population will, you know, more or less blindly follow what he says, he's mudding the waters by accusing, uh, you know, legitimate news outlets, but, uh, which, you know, biased or not, even, you know, Republicans went on and accused them of being fake news in the past, but now he's clearly muddied the waters on what real information is versus opinion. I think you might, though, be seeing signs of him learning a little bit and not in a, like, you know, like, I'm not sure that there was much calculation behind it. I do think he was just a raging, a raging ball of emotions going from thing to thing with more or less Machiavellian advisors behind him like Bannon and Miller. And since the wiretapping tweets, other you haven't really seen him be nearly as crazy. Like the the speech in Florida was a little nuts, um, but he has toned it down and he like almost looked guilty about it. Like asking the New York, like there's a level of eventually, like even the shameless would have to find some level of pushback on mistake that like gets to him, and he wants to be loved. Like he like do. Either of you believe that he doesn't deep down want to be loved? That it doesn't drive him? Well, okay. Can I, I have a special yeah. story to share. I'm actually in Las Vegas right now. Okay. You know, we're on this road trip. Right. Driving into the strip, I see this gigantic building paint like it's all gold. Uh-huh. And what is emblazoned at the top of that tower but the word Trump? What else? And what? it reconnected me to who this guy is. Like, do you all remember Donald Trump before he was president? Like, have, have we lost sight? Like, that's who this guy was. And right. he's, he's now president of the United States. Is it kind of like Caitlyn Jenner with, like, having killed someone in their car, but yet they're a hero and we just forget that, like, we just... Like, Caitlyn... Like, it's not like Bruce Jenner was... An awesome dude who had done nothing but great things for, like, humanity. He was a Catholic, great. But he had been in, like, a drunk driving or, like, a texting while driving manslaughter accident, among other things, as well as, like, unleashing the Kardashians upon the world to be part of that. Like, he wasn't a good person before. And we, like, then he changed. Then now it's Caitlyn Jenner. And, you know, she's a hero. Right? Like... We're forgetting who the person was before. Now that we're saying Donald Trump's a hero, but you're 100% right, Darwin. We, like, what do we expect And also, to be clear, there's another inference that I want to take away from that. Have you guys, like, been to casinos recently? 
it's been you know, a little bit. Like, a few years. Ha- have you, you know, like, it's, people are the worst. People are dicks when they're at <laughs> casinos. They're just, they're just awful people. Everybody's yeah. scrambling for the, for like overpriced, poorly made drinks. Everything is cheapskate. Everything is phony. And this is the world that Donald Trump has been living in for the past, his life basically. Mm-hmm. Like this is his universe. And he's applying that universal awareness of people just that everybody around him is just like such an asshole that he just has to be the bigger asshole. Like that's that's the world he's been going into for this entire time. And is that who we want in the White House? Like why is this yes, acceptable? Yes, he has the, he has the, the wanting. class of a casino a slots player. Yeah. But wanting is beyond the point. I think now, Darwin, like wanting him in the White House is he is in the White House, right? So, so let's let's game out just one of these situations, right? Healthcare is dead in the House of Representatives as it stands. I mean, I think for healthcare to pass in some reform version of it, there are going to have to be Democrats involved. Like, if you're a Democrat, how do you work with Donald Trump, like? How do you work with the most inconsistent form of crazy you've dealt with in the White House? Or is it, you know, and I told, uh, we'll get into the story, an experience I had in a Lyft passenger later, but, you know, he's going to need everyone around him to be better than he is if the country wants to survive, like succeed. I don't, I mean, do we have that in us? I don't know. I mean, like, and, and he's like, he is, he's all glitz. Like it's, he likes shiny things that kind of suck at their core. I don't know how to deal with that <laughs> in him. Darwin, how do you, how do you deal with it in Vegas? Are you going to make a movie about it? Are you going to, are you getting your filmmaker? Well, you and, your, your you know, and, and I, I was voicing this earlier, but I feel like his, shenanigans are distracting us from the fact that there is a real world where real things are happening. And I am, you know, just, I I think the place that really Donald Trump is having the most direct and immediate impact is in the war on terror. You know, I think that that is the, 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 the silent real news that's happening while all of the corruption scandal news is consuming us. Right. That we are engaged in a fierce battle with ISIS in Iraq. We've been ramping up our troop presence there. And I, I even heard that we actually sent a few people to Syria, like mm-hmm. as advisors. You, you know, like... Do y'all, you know, does everybody remember Iraq? You know, like, like, well, like that's where this war and Iraq suddenly disappearing from the list of the banned countries. Like, what is going on over there? And that's well, this is what I was talking about a second ago. That I was playing the story. I had a passenger yesterday who I picked up who was Muslim, and I didn't realize at the time, but I had Trump cast on from Slate, and she was saying she's actually happy that Trump's in the White House because. For the 16 years before this, she was actually really scared because America didn't know its wars were going on, didn't know about the injustices that were happening. Now that we understand the wars are now, but as she's in the United States, she looks at what Trump is doing and she sees the backlash to it, 
by the Americans, and it's, like, stopping her complacency, or our complacency, and she, like, literally believes, like, better faith in the American people than I think we have in ourselves at times, um, and she's like, I know I'm supposed to be part of his targeted groups, I don't, not for him, but he's, him being bad is allowing other people to be good, right, and I don't know how we as a country, like, grab with that, like, we're sitting in the war on, like, we're sitting with the war on terror, is Russia going to be our ally? They, they're supposed to be stopping ISIS. Are they just propping up the Syrian regime here? You know, like, what are we, what are we going to do with that? Are, are we actually, are, is our military working with them right now? With Russians on, on joint operations, there Joe? Is, there is a, like, nominal amount of, of um, uh, deconflicting of, you know, who's heading where, but it, in, in large part, and for, for all intents and purposes, no. No, and, and we have continued to negotiate, or or well, not negotiate. We've continued to try to you know pre-negotiate so that we can negotiate how we might uh, work together against ISIS. The the sticking issue though is our insistence for you know to to our credit to to and to Russia's credit, everyone agrees that there must be a political solution to accompany a military solution. And that's kind of where the rub is, is because we see diametrically opposite end results uh, politically as, as, you know, being the ideal outcome. Russia obviously wants to prop up Assad. We are actively trying to undermine the Assad regime. So the UN has tried to kind of facilitate at various points uh, the two sides kind of coming together, but... When you're that far apart from each other, it's 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 hard to you know bridge. So we've no, talked no, okay. about some sort of transition now. At this now. point, why don't we want Assad in there? I mean, we've worked with some pretty bad dudes in the past. Why why don't we want Assad to take I mean, the reins of a stable Syria? Because stable for Assad, I mean, we were talking about a guy who's now done things beyond what Saddam did, beyond what Gaddafi did to his own people to allow a man as violent and and horrific to his own people to remain in power with no consequence would be to set a dangerous precedent. Either we don't go in or we go in with the expectation. And when I say go in, I don't just mean militarily. I mean, we, we, we get elbow deep in this Syria issue. We go in with the expectation that Assad... Like, what, what precedent do we have anymore? I mean, we've got a lot of bad precedents that we've set in the last We've got a lot of killers in, in this country that we're saying? Policy. No, uh, but what I mean, I that's, that's what Donald Trump is, says. Like, in terms of our strategic <laughs> allies, like, okay, so we have this guy who's done these horrible things. So what? So if he got in charge of Syria, it might be a better humanitarian outcome. Who knows? Right. It's, you know, do we see this guy as genocidal to the people that he would take the reins over? Like, yeah, Aleppo was arguably crime? relatively genocidal. Like, yeah, Aleppo guy, was pretty close to a genocide. He's used chemical weapons. He's part of, remember, he's part of a Shia uh, minority ruling class that is actively oppressing a Sunni majority country, and he has shown no qualms about using horrible Geneva Convention breaking weapons against his own people. So, I mean, to back off and say, fine, Assad can stay 
this this war does not pose an existential threat to the United States. So our involvement would be from a humanitarian standpoint. And so if we're going to get involved from a humanitarian standpoint, the end result cannot be great, everything's stable, and you're back to how you were with this brutal dictator who has now shown his true colors as a borderline genocidal maniac at the helm. And by the way, can we just reflect it, just bring back to our earlier conversation on this, whatever this operation is going to cost is probably the difference in what they're cutting from our domestic budget and will be kept off the books. Like, $64 billion is coming out of our domestic budget. Whatever we do in Syria and what we're doing in the Middle East and definitely what we did in Iraq would make up for what we are cutting from our fucking budget inside the United States. Like, the outrageous absurdity that we are... Like, and this is Donald Trump even ran a lot of this. Like, we're spending so much money overseas on... And this is on four... Like, that's... It's but a real problem. It's built into the budget. It's built into the budget, but either way, we are... We are... Fund. Like, we don't spend enough on foreign aid, and yet we do spend a ton on foreign bullets. Like, it, we're, we're totally disconnected from the scale of what we are doing on each thing and how, like, massively at war we always are. <laughs> like, compared to... We are like, more poverty than we are what, of actual people. <laughs> what, what, what Joe just described is functionally the United States is saying that we would rather a war be going on than to allow... Syria to engage into a single homogenized unit under Assad. No, no, no. no and well, well, that's, uh, that was Obama's well, effective policy. It was not the state no, policy. He specifically, so, so, I mean, he we, specifically we, didn't get into a war. Right, like, but he uh, he was he undermined. Like, but he did, the quickest resolution would have been to allow Assad and 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 like back Assad. If we were for quickest resolution to stop violence, backing Assad probably would have been it even if it meant a short-term increase in, like, the Russian solution is the most efficient way to end this. We did not get behind their solution because we thought we could sort of, like, keep the rebels and, you know, and maybe that's the right thing to do, but, like, it was not the most efficient way to stop all the violence. The, the politics of the situation are very similar to that of Libya. However, the realities of a military... So the successful... You know, the critics like to call it leading from behind. But what we did in Libya, you can talk about the destabilization afterwards, but from a military standpoint, it was incredibly effective, incredibly cheap, at no loss of life for Americans. We had one fighter shot down, pilot recovered, and we quickly hastened the uh, the ouster. That could, would not happen in Syria The based on just the geography, the terrain, the fact that there's not two or three groups, but five or six different uh, groups all fighting on, on multi-front wars. So it, it's not, it, there's no clean solution, but the same, the same kind of principles that apply to our getting involved with Libya still apply to Syria. I, 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 Darwin, you summarized that we would rather be in a war than to back Assad. I think that might be true, but I, I but, I, w I would actually argue that no, each each of those are equally distasteful ideas, and that's probably why we've been sort of splitting the difference as we are, because the slightly better alternative is to not get involved in the war, but also resist Assad. And if we can undermine him with limited, uh, you know, technical assistance and all the political pressure we can bring to bear at the UN, you know. Those those non-lethal tools that we can provide without uh, creating mission creep, which 
we kind of are now, as you said, 400, uh, 400 troops have now gone towards pretty close to the front lines in Syria. Um, and that's the ideal outcome is to you know, push, push Assad out of power with minimal U.S. involvement. So question for both of you about this. Are, did we just have a deeper conversation about our military involvement in Syria than our president has had with the generals? Like, when, when, does Donald Trump sit there and grapple with these issues on a level that we're even trying to think about grappling with it in a fucking podcast? Because when... It's, okay, well, here's the deal. Here, here, let, me, let, me, let me just please, drive into this. I think Trump has definitely given this a lot of thought. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he's given outsized thought to this issue, if, if he enjoys this this military component. Of, but you think of he knows there's between Sunni and Shia? A lot more than he enjoys the domestic stuff. Because, okay, remember, he's getting hamstrung on so many domestic policy fronts right now. You know, he's, his, his, his travel. I don't mean like been, the guns used for the. Healthcare is going nowhere. He's got a lot of, like, power to do the foreign policy component of this. And the people who are surrounding him, Rudy Giuliani, I know for sure, describe the best way of dealing with Islam as being the one that shows the most force. Right, but I don't mean he's like playing with tanks. Intense, like, yeah, but okay, but he's trying to come off as a tough man. The that he wants he wants his image to be that of right. being tough on Muslims. That's exactly but, what he but, wants right now. Right, and but I'm saying like I think he wants his image to be tough on Muslims. He has said one more sentence past that to his advisors and they have never had an in-depth discussion about the policy implications. I, I think I think like, it's kind of like a, I think I think the generals have, but what? He, but I don't know that he's talking to these people. Like, we would never know. Like I mean, it's kind of a straw man question. It is. I'm just because wondering. like yeah. those would obviously be highly classified conversations. I am sure that he has talked with the generals, as he likes to say. Uh, I mean. Like, like, like I said, we, you, you gotta, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not all about giving him the benefit of the doubt, but I mean, to say like, oh, do you think he's even having this conversation? It's like, I'm sure he's having it at some level. I'm just sure how his mind works. No, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, the, the way his mind works is that he's, when Mattis said that he, when, when Secretary Mattis said that he was uh, not a fan of, of, of torture, yeah. uh, of waterboarding specifically, Trump said, We'll have to see what the people think about that. You know, something to the effect of like, if it's popular enough, we may do it. I mean, so this is a guy whose mind thinks in terms of of reality television, and you know, text text yes to eight two five five nine if you want to see people get waterboarded. <laughs> and you know, I mean, like, so that I think that's the kind of level he's operating on. But I mean, now that he's in office, you have to assume that like he's uh, until he proves otherwise. Like. I've, you know, of course, I think the guy is like spouting off crazy conspiracy theories. He, you know, with the whole wiretapping and such, right? But before that, that happened. I wasn't, you know, you can't speculate. So, like, do you bet he's like coming up with some crazy conspiracy theory? It's like, yeah, he might be. But he like, authorized you know, the, the Yemen strike over dinner. I just wonder about what level he's grappling with these issues. As I said, I feel like he's simplicity with no complexity on across the board, like a three-inch reflecting pool. To the end of time. Like, I mean, Darwin, are you seeing... Like, what do you think he, his, his, his daily intelligence briefings and his talks with... Like, when he's, when he's going through this, what do they look like for our country, for, for our president? You know, I, I think, honestly, that he is probably hearing a range of ideas and really grappling with them. 
on some level, but I think that he is he's he's really placed his faith, I think, in a lot of players who are not serving him well. Yeah. And I think that he's done that because he lives in a world in which loyalty was t- was paramount to him. Mm-hmm. You you know, again, he comes yeah. from Las Vegas. Everybody here is shallow. Everybody here is playing you. Everybody's trying to play you. So he really values people who don't look like they're playing him. And frankly, I honestly think that that's what Steve Bannon probably gave him is a sense that he wasn't playing him, that he was actually a trustworthy person. Somehow, Bannon got on that radar. And I think that Trump is now this individual who leans on this advice that may steer him toward you know, oh, the status quo doesn't know anything, which I I endorse that as a general guiding principle, but if you don't weigh that against reality ever, then <laughs> you are going to lead this type of presidency. And I think that's what's happening, is that I think he's really starting to miss an opportunity here to actually use his braggadocious behavior yeah. for good. You know, he could really be marshalling the Republicans and the Democrats. He, I mean, he, he honestly is looking like he could genuinely say, you know what, I'm not a Republican. Fuck these guys. I, like, I feel like he could do that. Yeah. I feel like he would if he felt like it would make him well, popular. That's, that's what we were talking like, about on, on health care. <laughs> he could definitely get – he's going to have to get Democrats on health care. And I think eventually he's going to get there. He's just going to say, let's do the deal. I, I mean, he's – I can't – my, my number one criticism of Barack Obama on health care was – that the he pitched essentially gave the Republicans their health care plan and said you you're gonna like this because it's your plan right and they were like no we're gonna tell you what we like give us a chance to tell you and he was like no but you're gonna I'm smarter than you I know what this is and maybe he was right and now they're stuck but like Donald Trump from Donald Trump's budget oh no he did he was fine from Donald Trump's budget. To like to this healthcare plan, like it's just it's the far right version of most of these things, and it's like the most scary thing to the left that fucking budget on top of it. So there's room to come back in to Democrats, right, to give concessions. Like if he is actually a negotiator, he has made a negotiable situation possible, and eventually he'll have to get there. Or he's all hot air. He's not negotiations. He does not have the art of the deal. I am willing to believe either possibility is true. I think I think not, not only is healthcare more complicated than he famously just realized, but How could you not I think and time after time the the common theme with all these Trump incidents are not knowing how to president. Like like it's it's the huh. blocking and tackling that uh, yeah. Obama talked about. It's the this is how you get something through con- I mean, you look at this this healthcare bill rollout on the same day you had Mick Mulvaney at OMB saying something totally different, just from a messaging oh, yeah. standpoint, as Tom Price at HHS. Now these are guys on this, not just not just on the same party, but working within the same administration. They should be sharing the same talking points. Like when when we were doing healthcare back in like '09, I say we, I wasn't part of the administration yet, but like when healthcare was going through in in '09, we were like full court press with, yeah. but we were getting you know. Talking heads in the, in the Senate, like, you know, not, not talking heads, but, you know, allies, oh, can champions. I, can I pause for a second? No. Yeah. Can, can I pause? Like, I, this is why I'm getting Trump f- fatigue. Like, you know, why do we t- why do we keep talking about him? Like, th- like, as long as we're talking about him, he's winning. Like, that's what I do know. 
Like, as long as we are, like, in outrage over his comments, we have been in that state of mind since he launched his campaign. Like, the day that he launched his campaign, he threw us into crazy, and we have not left that world since. Like, there, there's got to be some way to, like, out outplay this hand How do you that beat we're the not Trump as the American public seeing, you know? Because he's winning. Like, like, he's still got so much leverage over us when he can take, do anything to get our attention. Like, that is an enormously powerful position to be playing from. Yes, he manipulates the agenda, but any president does anyway. I, I kind of disagree with the, with, with the premise. I think we, how do we beat him? We beat him by beating him. You know, when he puts up a healthcare plan, we shove it back in his face. When he puts up a travel ban, you know, we point out that it's grossly unconstitutional and shove it in his face twice now. You know, like there, there's, we beat him, you know, by beating him. We beat him in 2018 by winning back at least one of the houses so that, you know, it, 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 it jams up his agenda even more. Like, yeah, the playbook is do your job. We beat him by investigating his, like, really sketchy shit and, you know, getting subpoenas and, and, you know, picking off guys on a staff who, who have done really sketchy shit, you know? Like, I'm not saying, like, go outside the rules. I'm saying he's operating so far outside the norm that playing perfectly within the rules, we exactly. can still beat him. You, that is, it's so, do your job, play within the been, rules. Has there ever been a, a U.S. president, like, this earth-shattering? Like, like it, it, this, we're witnessing history. You understand, like, 50 years from now, everybody's going to be asking us, like, what was it like under the Trump presidency? It, like, it's, it's, it's so insane what's going on right now. And I think it's impossible to grapple with just how insane it is. Yeah, totally. Right. I just want you to realize that what you did was complain about how he is and, like, looking for ways out of looking at him. as And then... Your mind puts you right back into admiring the insanity and the crazy of what we're doing, right? Like, there's almost no way out of this conversation. Because I, you're right, I it, feel trapped. It, I feel trapped. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not. I'm no better. I'm just. I'm, I'm fighting myself. How do I get out of being obsessed with Donald Trump? I know. I know. He's he's like the world's worst earworm song. He has gotten it. He is. He has taken all the oxygen, but I, I will come back to this. I think it's do your job, and he, you're right. He's you, he's so far outside of the box that eventually the box will trap him. Like eventually he'll get inside of it, and it'll close it. Well, that's that's kind of stuff that's happening with like the wiretap. Is that yeah. even even his supporters, like Devin Nunez, the chair of the intelligence committee, is coming out saying, "Yeah, we have no evidence that what he said was true." Like you know, as when you make it to the point where even his allies have to, you know decide between stating facts that they're legally supposed to and and backing him, that's where he went. The fact is, if he wanted to have campaigned like a madman and then slid into the White House and, you know, all of a sudden it's adopted a different tone yeah. and taken it much more low-key and just, like, actually... If he wanted to actually accomplish the things on his agenda, he could be going about it in a different way. Like, he is, he is you know, doing this kind of stark-raving mad thing because that's who he is. And so, you know, yeah, we're going to keep talking about it because he keeps doing crazy stuff. If he wanted to be... You know, a productive president. He could be a productive president. Yeah. Instead, he's chosen to be a showman. You know, go for shoot the moon kind of president. It's long past the point where, like, I think that it's like, uh, you know, everyone thinks there's government conspiracies, but really, it's usually incompetence. It is pure, consistent incompetence with like, it's like it's like a person who can hit a driver and golf really, really far all the time, but they're going all over the fucking course. He's got one big shot. He hits it all, like and, and he doesn't have control, but there's always an outcome, and sometimes that outcome is in the middle of the fairway, 
Right. And sometimes it's the worst thing you've ever seen. Like there's, he, and it makes us think when it looks genius, like he is a genius and it looks like he's just a mad fox, but he's just mad. And it's not even his fault, I don't think. I don't think he's was prepared to grapple with the complexities and the nuances of the presidency. Like, it's it's a fucking difficult job. On top of, he picked a lot of really controversial positions and then decided to piss everyone off around him. Well, and he doesn't want to learn either. That's the thing. It's a tough job that he's just chosen to wing. He's like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'll just wing it. Because he's winged everything. I would love... I really would love to be on a fly on the oh. wall of Rick Perry's energy department right now. Oh, that'd be fun. Like, I, I would love to know exactly what's transpiring over there because that man must be going through, like, 70 references yeah. to his oops moment a day. Like, yeah. you know, the department that he forgot he yeah. was trying to abolish, he's now <laughs> in charge of. I have to say... It's beautiful. Very poetic. It's very beautiful. I, I think that is a beautiful... That is one... Uh, there are so many moments like that where Trump does have strokes of genius. Of troll genius. Like, it's just... It's you're right. It's pure. It's purely beautiful to put him in charge of the uh, of that of that agency of the of the environment of the Department of Energy. Like, I do have a friend over there, and she is very tight lipped about what's going on, which is kind of a disappointment. Oh, it makes me sad. <laughs> the deep state of the Department of Energy is not coming back at her. Uh, she she hasn't completely uh, you know assimilated into the like with the new politicals, but she doesn't despise them either. <laughs> You know, we'll see what happens. I mean, as Justin Trudeau yeah. said uh, to, to Texans, what state would find all that oil and not dig it out of the ground? That guy is like, I don't know, he's supposed to be everyone's favorite, but he kind of annoys me. <laughs> Good old Justin Trudeau, <laughs> sucking up to Texans. It's it's kind of like, I want to I want to comment on just this, yeah. this, this pause for a second, because... Where where do we start to actually store this? Because I feel inactive. I feel like I should be doing something and I'm not. And I'm not actually someone who disagrees with a lot of these policies, but the overarching Trump presidency is, in my mind, grounds for a lot of civil engagement, to say the least. Like, we really need to outsmart this guy. Because... He's he's power hungry, and he's he's really shown that he has the power to completely destroy our system. Like he could, he honestly could destroy our constitutional system. I think that he just does. He's 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 centered the power structure in a way that he could actually start really circumventing a lot of things. And I think that it's is already showing up the way that he's treating the press. I mean the the conservative reporter on the Secretary of State's plane trip. I mean, these are some seriously disturbing things that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully we keep having these discussions. And as as the lofty Darwinism community grows, I don't think it really is about partisanship being being a Republican or a Democrat. I think... You can. You're gonna see Republicans. Are, if you you think we're Democrats and I Darwin is a libertarian, it it's going yeah, to take I Republican senators. <laughs> it's going I to take Republican senators and House yeah, like, House and, and, and House like 
It's going to take all of us doing our jobs as Americans and like serving the country as opposed to our parties that keep us through this. So when it comes to 2018, it's about having the discussions and issues with your neighbors and voting for the person who's going to hold the system and the people running that system accountable that are your representatives. And I think lofty Darwinism as we grow our community can work towards that. Um, you know, I want to thank Thomas Warren, who was uh, one of our guests, and he's running for office still, uh, T3, back in uh, Amarillo. But mm-hmm. more civic engagement like that um, is, I think, how you eventually beat Trump, is the people. We have to be better. Because Donald Trump's an outgrowth of the 80s and 90s and 2000s culture that became president. And we have to fix that culture. I think the single biggest way to, you know, and, and this is... I promote this because it's also just a, a good citizenship kind of thing to do. Talk to people who are different than you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Steve King's comments in Iowa were kind of what, like, you know, brought this realization to my mind, you know, because this guy keeps getting elected in <sighs> Iowa because it's, you know, and, and Iowa's great. I've been there, great, nice people, incredibly white. Yes. You know, obviously not 100%, but incredibly, incredibly white. And, and you know, I, I get it. If you live in a rural in rural Iowa, it's you know you're only going to see the same yeah. X number of people day in and day out. But as much as possible, the more we just not even about politics, just talk to other people, get to know the po- you know if you if you know a Muslim person, you're probably not going to want you know be okay with yeah. the Muslim ban, even though you may have a year earlier because you didn't know a Muslim person. Now you're like, oh, they're not that scary. You know, if you know I a poor like, person, if you know a, a you know a rich person, if you know yeah. Republicans, yeah. Democrats, you know, treat from all walks humans of life. as humans and talk to them as such. That's what I mean. Know. Just just know people, not not talk politics, but then just get to know people, and then I think the politics will flow naturally after. Talk Buffy, the vampire. Yeah, so I feel and like I I just yeah we we've really got to em- embrace. Look, I'm I'm all about American exceptionalism. I think the English should absolutely be required for everybody to be here. I'm definitely all for assimilation, melting pot over multiculturalism, but treating people like they're second class is never going to fly. It, it shouldn't, and we should all be like, just this Steve King guy, I just fucking despise him. You know, we are a nation of immigrants, and that's what makes us cool. That's what makes us different, is yeah. that we've got. A, a higher ideal set than being from a fer- certain place or looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. Our ideals are in our are in I are in our ideas, and yeah. the important takeaway from that culture is inclusiveness, not exclusivity. And to that end, yeah, this Steve King guy, I just kill. I just, I just, I just can't stand him. Well, on that note, I think it's a, a good place for us to end to have to keep having this discussion and uh thank you everyone hope you enjoy the intro outro music and uh darwin thank you for putting that together i'm looking forward to hearing it myself joe thank you for coming back on the show always joe always